So we're in this series called Even Adam. Even Adam is a series about relationships. It's a series about marriage. It's a series uh, for not only the marriage, but also for the single and those who are going to soon to be married. It's a, a message that's kind of taking us through scripture and saying, hey, let's look at the first couple in scripture, Adam and Eve. Let's see about their life. Let's see what we can learn, what cues we can learn from them. So the first message, we talked about the case for equality, and it was about getting back to truly what it means to be created equal, man and woman. What our place is, where our identity truly lies. And then last week, Derek uh, preached the message, let's get naked. I'm glad I didn't have to preach that one. Um, Derek did a great job, and it's really awesome. So last week, I was supposed to be here that weekend, and I ended up missing my flight. Blame Uber. Blame Uber. Um, And Derek found out that he had to speak at, like, 9 o'clock Saturday night, and he came in that morning and preached an awesome message. I got to watch it through FaceTime. Thank God for technology. So this weekend, we're talking about about working together, about doing it together. So before I get started, let let, let me just pray over this real quick and see what God has for us this morning. Gracious God, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for being here before we got here, Lord. Thank you so much for setting the stage in this space, Lord, so that we can have an encounter with you, that we can hear through your word, God. Open up our hearts, open up our minds so that we can truly get a message from you. We ask all these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So Christine and I, in about year five of our marriage, we hit this kind of like a plateau, right? We were just kind of going through the motions in our marriage. We were just doing the things that we had to do. We were handling business. She had her job. I had my job. I was also in school at the time. And we're just kind of going day to day. All throughout our marriage, we, we, we had this tension at the beginning. But when we got to this place that it was actually good, we weren't mad at each other. We're not arguing. But then again, sparks weren't flying either. We just kind of lived and existed together. Life was busy. How many of you guys can relate to that? How many of you guys have ever been in that situation in your marriage where you're just kind of existing, you're busy handling uh, business as usual, your marriage is like autopilot? And for some of you guys, singles, don't think this is only for marriage because I've got something in here for you as well, too. But for the married folk in here, uh, there's a time in your marriage where there's no chaos in the marriage. But then there's no passion either. It's just everyday living, day to day. We're just going forward. When I was getting married, when I was nearing marriage, I was warned about this time. I was warned about this situation where you just begin to live like roommates. You know each other's schedule. You get along. You're not arguing, but you're just just kind of existing. And for some of you, maybe it's not that situation. For some of you guys, it's the feeling like you're just not on the same wavelength. Like you just don't get each other. And you say stuff like this. She doesn't understand all I do for this family. She doesn't understand the pressures that I have. 
Or we say, he has no clue about my needs. I need a break also. What about this one? I've got all these ideas, but why bother? She wouldn't support them anyway. She would just shoot them down. Or lastly, this one, we, we just don't have much in common. Don't raise your hands, but have you guys ever shared these sentiments? Does that sound familiar? And singles, for you, uh, you've got your own tensions as well, too. So your tensions sound, uh, feel like this. You feel like life is passing you by. You feel like everybody else is kind of doing that thing and they're thriving and they're having that epic life. And for you, it's just like you're getting by every day, day by day. And if you're just honest, life is just not exciting. Like you're not excited to get up every single day. Our marriages are not exciting. Our lives are not exciting. They're not passionate. And I hate to be the bearer of bad news here. Let's just be real. That's not a good thing. That's not the way it was intended to be. But there is a solution. And that's what we're going to talk about here today. This is the solution that God has for us, for us to reclaim the lives that we were supposed to live the marriages that we were supposed to have so that we can begin to thrive. Everybody turn to Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. If you don't have a Bible in here, throw your hand up. Our house crew will get one to you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, that is your Bible. Take it home. We gift that over to you. Let's dig into the text and see what the Bible teaches us about moving from just existing to thriving, especially in our marriages. So let's go ahead and jump into Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to read all the way to 28, and then we'll just kind of break down the text a little bit. Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. The first thing that we take away, there's two takeaways just in this first verse of let us make man in our image. Let us. There's two things that we see immediately. The first thing is God acted intentionally. And the second thing is God acted in community. So let's talk about acting intentionally first. God didn't just show up on the scene one day and stumble upon the earth that he created. God didn't just make this accidentally. It wasn't some random act like some of our kids are. I remember Christine, our third child. We thought we were just going to have two children. 
And we're excited. We're like, all right, we got these two kids. This is awesome. And at the time, they wouldn't let you get um, tied up until you were 35 or you had three kids or something like that. So we're at this stage in life. We're happy. We got two kids. And one day I'm laying down. This may be a little TMI, but I'm laying down morning and I just hear a drop. Not a pee drop. Come on, guys. All right. Just like something dropped by my head. And so I look, I open one eye, and I reach over, and it's a pregnancy test, and it's got the plus sign. And I was like, oh, God, yes, we're having another child. No, that is not how the earth came about. God said, let us make man in our image. Throughout the creation process, we see him working incrementally. The first day and the second day, and he creates sun and moon and stars, and he creates each day. And at the end of each day, he says, it is good. And at the end of creation, when he creates his crown of creation, humanity, he says, it is very good. And if he says it is very good, that means it is intentionally the way he created it to be. And we talked about that in the first message. Number two, God acted in community. And here we see this picture where he says, let us a view of the triune God that we believe in. As Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God, co-eternal in three individuals. Three perfect beings. All holy, all God, one God, three persons. And we see this in Genesis 1-2 at the beginning. It says, the earth was without form and void. And before this, in verse 1, he says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the water. So at the creation, we see that God is creating, and we see that there is spirit existent there, the third part of the Trinity. And then in John chapter 1, I'm giving you a little background, and we're going somewhere here. John 1, verse 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So there was somebody there with God, someone else. This individual that they're calling the Word, that John is calling the Word, he says, He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. With him was not anything that made that was made. Who is this he? Who is this word? In John chapter 1, 14, it tells us what this is. It says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is Jesus. So Jesus was at creation before he was Jesus in the flesh. Jesus, God the Son, was present, and he was the one doing the creating. He was the one making everything. It says, And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father. So now we've seen the son, we've seen the father, and we've seen the Holy Spirit full of grace and truth. And this is a practical takeaway that we take from this. This was quoted uh, by a gentleman. I, I, I couldn't find the name of the guy who quoted this, but it says, Man was created in a way that reflects the imaging relation among the persons of the Trinity. So we were created in community. We're supposed to reflect the community that God reflected at the foundation of this earth. Unfortunately, this image that was supposed to be perfectly made in us, that we were supposed to reflect, has been marred over time. We find out that in the fall, 
when Adam and Eve, the first human beings, turned away from God, were rebellious against God, this image began to be distorted in us. And through Christ, God is restoring and restores that image in us. Look at this verse. 2 Corinthians 5.17, when we come to faith, that image is restored. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old passed away. Behold, the new has come. What's this new? The answer, Ephesians 4.24. Put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. See, that's the whole point of this message series. It's about getting back to God's original idea for manhood and womanhood and male and female and marriage and humanity. It's about getting us back to a place where we can begin to thrive in our relationships, most specifically in our marriage, and ultimately humanity can flourish like we were designed to. Now, going on to verse 26 and 27, it says, created in his image. This distinguishes us from animals. We're not like animals. And if human's life is in question over an animal, I'm not getting political here, sorry, Harambe, but if seriously, a human's life is in question over an animal, we go with the, we go with the human. I almost said animal. We go with the human. Because we hold the image of God. We are uniquely God's image. And this image is gender and race neutral. We're all made in the image of God. And if I can push a little further here and push a couple of buttons. Not only is it gender and race neutral. How about this one? It's sexual orientation neutral. We are all God's children, broken as we are. It says, for all have fallen short of the glory of God. We all have a broken image of God. Listen to this quote. Broken as we are, we are God's children in need of a clear picture of the image of God, which is holy found in Jesus Christ, only through whom we can begin to reflect what we were created to be. And then the word that says, by beholding, we become changed. So rather than stating the obvious problem constantly, let's point people to the solution, Jesus. He's the one who changes us. He's the one who restores the image in us. This image word. Let's talk about the word image for a second. In the Strong's Dictionary, it's called selim, and it means a representation of a figure. And this is going somewhere, I promise you. It says a representation figure. And this word in, in our image, he says, let us make man in our image, in the image of God he created him. In this word also in Hebrew can mean as. So if we look at this text, this is, this is going like seminary on you guys. It could say we were made as 
the image of God. And it kind of changes the way we look at this term in. It, it changes image to be a verb now. It's a state of being. Humans are created as God's imagers. We function as God's representatives, and we talked about that in Sermon 1. If you didn't get, get to catch that, I would say go back and listen to that message because it will give you a lot of context of what we're talking about right now. Image is not a quality within. Image is not about just characteristics and attributes and all of that. Image, the image of God, it's who we are. People are thus God's agents, representing, functioning as God would if he were embodied in the flesh. And the individuals reading this, the people who were reading this, would totally understand what the writer was saying. Because in the ancient Near East, this, word, this term image of God was commonly used. The way it says in the Bible, in the image of God, he created them. They knew exactly what he was talking about. Because kings in those days, they were said they had the image of God. A king was said to have the divine rule of whatever deity that environment, that nation, that culture worshipped. So it's kind of like my dad when he retired. My dad leaves his company over to me. How many of you guys have ever been taken power of attorney of somebody? There are a couple of hands. So my dad leaves and retires, and he says, here goes this company. I want you to steward it. I have my father's name. Me and my dad have the same name. So I can sign for him. I run the company on his behalf. I did everything that he would do if he was here. And that's what God has called us to be as his divine images, to act as if he was when if he was here walking the earth like we were. And what were we supposed to do? Check it out. He says, and let them have dominion over the fish, over the birds, and over the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Let them both, Adam and Eve, two of them, together, let them both have dominion. Not Adam by himself, not Eve working on her own. In fact, God said it's not good for man to be alone. Remember, there's two implications of this. God acted intentionally, and then he also acted in community. God said, Adam, it's not good for him to be alone, so he made, her, it made him a helper fit for him so that he could work in community. Eve was not just to show up and just be this weak and passive woman saying, oh, yeah, Adam, you're taking care of everything. You're good. Do you? But she was also supposed to be able and ready because God had given them dominion over the earth. They were in it together. They were on the same team. They were moving towards a God-ordained, unified goal to have dominion, to rule over, to make subject the earth. And it says here, the image of God linked with dominion in this text means humanity is endowed to rule the earth as God's representatives. 
How do we accomplish this? Now we're getting to the crux of the matter. Now we're getting to the point of what does this have to do with us? I've just laid the groundwork for a reason. How would they accomplish this? And we see it in verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. We know that the immediate context here is talking about bearing children and multiplying the earth so that there can be more individuals on earth that give glory to God, that work as God's uh, agents uh, on this earth. And we talked about in the first sermon about being ambassadors of God. Yes, that's what it's talking about. But I think there is something a little deeper in here. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Something that we can take away for our marriages, for our relationship. Here goes the idea. If God didn't work alone in everything that he did, why do we in our marriages tend to do things in silos? Why do we work alone? If God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were present at creation, they agreed with a common direction. They worked together. And if we are made in the image of God, we know that we must function as he functions. We are created to have dominion together, to be fruitful together, to fill together, to subdue together our marriages are supposed to be a partnership and for the singles in here. We're not called to do life on our own. We're called to move and function in this world together with someone else. So what does this look like practically for our lives? Point number one, be fruitful together. Have a goal and work towards seeing it come to fruition. Have a goal and work towards seeing uh, it come to fruition. Don't just exist in your marriages. Don't just think out of nowhere your marriage is all of a sudden going to become fulfilled and excited. Don't expect your life to just automatically just one day start happening and like, oh, I actually enjoy waking up every single morning. God called us to be doers, to pursue, to be fruitful. We're supposed to produce a harvest. We're supposed to work towards something. And there's maybe somebody in here who may be saying, well, I'm already, we're already doing a lot. There's a lot of stuff that we already do. L- listen to what it says in 2 Thessalonians 3.11. This is Paul talking and writing to this group of uh, a church that were, they were just kind of, they were living idly. They were doing stuff, but it was coming to no avail. He says, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busybodies. In other words, he was like, you guys are doing a lot, but accomplishing nothing. Does that represent your marriage? Does that represent your life? You guys are constantly doing and doing but not accomplishing anything because you're not doing it together. 
There's no pursuit. There's no singular vision. There's no one goal that you guys are working towards together. Intentionality is key. We see it in how God uh, made it an intentional effort, how he worked together not only to create the world, but also to save the world. John 3.16 says, uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Goal, save humanity from their brokenness. And they did it together. And they worked together. So if you want to see yourself and your marriage begin to thrive in your life, have a goal that you guys are mutually working on. If you're single, find somebody, tell somebody a goal that you have and say, hey, walk with me through this journey and work towards seeing it come to fruition because we're called to be fruitful. We're supposed to produce a harvest in life. There's there's nothing worse than... Waking up every day and just feeling like there's no reason why you're getting up. I'm just, I'm just doing the same thing over and over. And there's nothing intentionally that you're working towards. There's nothing exciting you. You don't have a why to get up and go to work in the morning. You don't have a why to get up and pursue what you're doing. Point number two, multiply together. So take whatever you've been given and capitalize on it. There's a story. There's a really great story in the Bible. Matthew chapter 25. I'm not going to read it. Verse 14 through 30. This story is about the talent. So here goes the deal. This is what's happening in this story. A, a, a guy who owns some property comes and grabs a few of his servants, a few of the people who he's working with. And he says, hey, look, I'm giving you five talents. And he gives another one two talents. And he gives another person one talent. And he goes on. The person with five talents says, hey, man, I've got five talents. Let me capitalize on this. Let me take what I already have in my hands and capitalize on this. And so he goes and he flips it and he ends up making five more. He goes, then the second person says, yeah, I've got two talents. I could do something with this. I can invest it. And he goes and he flips it and he makes two talents, uh, two more talents. So now he's got four talents. But interestingly, the one who received one, he's like, you know what? If I do anything with this, my master may not be excited with me. So I'm just going to go dig in the ground. I'm just going to let it sit. I'm just going to sit on it. And some of us complain so much about what we don't have that we neglect what's already been given to us. Even in our marriages, we look around and uh, we're saying, I wish he made more. I wish she made more. I wish we did something. I wish there was something we could produce. I wish we had more. And God is like, I've already given you something, whatever it is, it's something. Is it your kids that you guys need to be aligned together and working towards rearing together? Is it even just your personal goals that you want to achieve? But take whatever you've been given and capitalize on it. Don't just sit and go through life expecting excitement, expecting life to come. Christine always says this to me. Don't be satisfied if, with good if better is possible. 
this world multiply. It's about take, gaining an advantage. It's about, get, it's about making more than what's right there. Going beyond average. We're supposed to be pursuing life beyond average. So let me ask you this. How are you multiplying what God already has blessed you with? Jesus Christ, when he walked this earth, when he was getting ready to go, he could have said, hey, you know what? I came, I preached the gospel. I died. It's all good. It's all said and done. But he gained advantage. He told his disciples, go and make more disciples. Multiply. Teach others everything that I've commanded you. Are you guys multiplying in your marriage? Are you being fruitful? Are you multiplying? And point number three, fill and subdue together. And here goes the twist. The end is never earthly success, but God's glory. Everything we do in this life is not about earthly success, but it's for God's glory. Our marriages are not for temporal success. Even our marriages and our relationships, our lives are not. I've heard it said this way. Our lives are for us, but they're not about us. The end is never earthly success, but God's glory. Marriage, work, the pursuits of life are all supposed to bring glory to God. We don't do it for the prize here on earth. We do it for the prize ahead. This is what Jesus said about the work that he did on earth. John 17, 4, it says, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Adam and Eve were called to a stewardship. The talents, uh, these individuals who were given these talents, they were called to a stewardship of something. Our marriages are about stewardship, meaning we all have to give an account of how we handle all God has given, even including our marriages. The end is never earthly success, but God's glory. At the end of that parable, these individuals that made more from what they had, God came and uh, the master came and said to them, and this is what God would be saying to us too at the end of time. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Your life right now, your relationships right now, if your marriage right now, if God was to give an account, if you were to give an account to God and he was to give you the report card on your marriage, on the way you're living your life, whether you're being fruitful, whether you're multiplying like he did, whether you're embodying his image fully, whether you're filling and subduing and giving him the glory, would he say, well done, good and faithful servant? Would he say that to you? Here it is. Here goes the, the crux of it. The reason many of our marriages are not exciting and they're passionless is because many of us 
are doing life independently in our marriages. Even our own lives, even the singles in here, many of us are going through life thinking, I don't need anybody else. I'm just going to do me. That's not the way humanity was designed. We were created to live intentionally and in community, working towards a common goal that gives glory to God. So I told you a little bit about Christine and I's beginning that time when we were just passing by each other. But I'll tell you what, when God called us to plant this church, I received that message first. And everybody told me, don't do it unless your wife is with you 100%. Don't do it unless she's in it together, because this is something you guys have to do together. And I'll tell you, planting this church, it's one of the hardest things we've ever had to do in our lives. And full transparency, Christine's a stay-at-home mom. I'm a church planning pastor, so this is the brokest we've ever been in our lives. <laughs> you, didn't, you didn't have to say anything, CJ. <laughs> but we're in it together. And we've seen how our lives has changed to be passionate. And we sit there and we wonder, why is it that we've got so much passion towards each other right now? Because this common goal causes us to pray together. This common goal causes us to discuss together. This common goal causes us to plan together, to build together, and do it all together. And you can experience new life in your marriage too. If we truly take on the image of God, and we live our lives, live our marriages, live our single lives intentionally in community with others, pursuing God's glory with a common goal. Now, not everybody's called to plant a church. But what's God calling you guys to come together around? And I, I figured to leave you with these three statements, something hopefully that you'll remember. Will together, work together, and win together. That's what God has called us to do. Be fruitful, multiply, fill, and subdue. Let's pray. God, thank you for creating us in your image. Lord, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to restore this broken image that has been marred by sin. God, I I thank you for reminding us in your word that our lives were supposed to be lived intentionally. Our marriages were supposed to be lived intentionally. We were supposed to live in community. God, first, I want to lift up the single individuals in here, God. All this talk about marriage, Lord, may they not feel left out. May they know, God, that one, you've provided community with them. Paul said, oh, if everybody would be single like me. 
He knew the gift of what it was to be a single. But Lord, even in that, Paul had community with the individuals that he walked with on this earth that he served your glory with. He had friends and he had companions that he shared a common vision and a common goal where they willed together. They willed to serve you together. They worked together. And in those wins, God, they celebrated together. And God, I pray that if there's a single person in here who does not have that sense of community, God, that they, you will bring that type of community around that supports them, that encourages them, that celebrates them. And God, I pray for the marriages in here as well too. God, I pray that we not live in silos, that we may not live in different wavelengths. God, bond us together around some common goals. Just practically, Lord, give us something that we can work towards together, whether it's serving together in your local church, whether it's rearing our kids together intentionally, whether it's our businesses that we're working on, our our dreams and goals that we're planning out. God, allow us to be fruitful in those things. Lord, allow us not to just settle for okay. God, allow us to pursue the dominion that you've given us and multiply And God, when we fill and subdue, when we get to the end, God, may it not be just about us. May it not be about what we've achieved, Lord. May you get all the glory. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen.